Earlier today on social media, there was a great deal of debate and uproar about unpaid journalism internships. And while I don't want to get into the whole pudding bowl, I'll say this. In the summer of my sophomore year in college, I interned for $4.50 an hour at the Champaign-Urbana News Gazette in Illinois. And I busted my ass. I went after it. I worked as hard as I'd ever worked. But here's the thing. I was able to take the position because my parents let me use their car for the summer. Because my parents paid the rent of my apartment. Because my parents gave me money for food and supplies. There's nothing wrong with catching breaks or with having help. But when you're established, don't go around raving about your elbow grease without noting all the benefits you had along the way. It comes off as both shallow and entitled. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode stars Tyler Dunn, the longtime football writer who recently, after the demise of Bleacher Report Mag, launched Go Long, a newsletter publication devoted to enterprising coverage of the NFL. This is episode number 197. Let's sling some yang. All right, well, Tyler, first of all, I just want to say it makes me happy, as I told you, that you're in, what's the temperature today? We're about 15 to 16 degrees, I think. It's balmy here in uh, Boston, Hamburg, New York area. I got to say Hamburg because I say Boston, everybody thinks Massachusetts, but... Uh, Hamburg, 15 degrees in Hamburg. It's, it's about 70 here in Southern California, and it's really made me an asshole moving here because almost everyone I know is on the East Coast, and I love saying, so what's the weather? And kind of making the face like the sincere, like I'm concerned for you, but I'm not. I'm just happy my weather is warmer. If I wasn't in New York State, I could counter with, well, what are your taxes, right? I mean, you pay oh, the, sun, yeah. the sun tax out, but we got the, the worst of all worlds here. So I, I can't even really say that. Yeah, that's a fair point. I am fascinated because um, in a way, I don't view this episode as a writing episode per se. I think you're an excellent writer. I love your stuff at Bleach Report, blah, 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 blah. But I'm really fascinated by sort of the entrepreneurial spirit that people need nowadays. And, and for people who wouldn't know, you were a, a writer Bleach Report from 2016 to 2020 when they kind of callously and but somewhat predictably slashed the BR magazine. Before that, you covered the Packers at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You covered the Bills at the Buffalo News. So you have this kind of sweet gig at Bleach Report. Do you know shit is about to fall? Great question, Jeff, and, and thanks for having me on. I will blow all the smoke up your ass. This podcast we'll is it. amazing, so it's an honor to be here and, and follow the the lineage of of just amazing people you've had on here. But uh, I think, like, no, I didn't really see, you know, the carnage coming there. Like, it wasn't right in our face, right? I, I don't think it ever really is. I mean, there there were some really good people that had been had been let go before us, you know, in that kind of fell swoop of BR mag. Um, I, I didn't expect it to happen that day. I, I was driving to a, a coffee shop to actually work on a story and got like the email. Hey, can you hop on this uh, conference call today? And you kind of know what it is, right? When you're hearing from somebody that you, you don't even know or hadn't heard of before in HR. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess like as much as I didn't see it coming, I kind of did too. Like your head's always on a swivel. I think wherever you are in sports media and, you know, our contracts are contracts and they're year to year, sometimes two years to two years. And I never really looked at it like I have this comfy, cushy job that I'm going to have till the end of time. I mean, that'd be great. 
but where, wherever I've been, I mean, nothing's guaranteed. So there was that little part of the back of my head that this, this, this moment, this day could come and it. I mean, it was a bummer working with some amazing people there. I mean, that they're let go to, we're all kind of scattered around. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think I also in the back of my head had that entrepreneurial desire and it just felt like the right time to kind of take on something completely new. It, it just felt like that moment, like, all right, this is it. Let's do it. Let's go. I actually want to dig into this a little bit because I'm interested because I wrote for B- uh, BR Magazine for a while. And I remember being out in California and meeting with Matt Sullivan, who was the editor or the overseer for a while of it. And the dream was really his stated dream was we want to be SI. We want to be ESPN, the magazine. We want to kick their asses and build up this monster team. And we're going to be blah, 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 the greatest thing ever. And I believe he um, he was sincere in that goal. Like I really do. When he was saying it to me, I think he was sincere. And they put out some great, great stuff over the years. Is it, even though it sucks for guys like us, is it unrealistic these days to expect people, enough people to be profitable to deep dive into a 5,000 word Josh Allen feature as opposed to watching a two and a half minute video of his highlights? <laughs> That's... Think about that every day, right? Like it's 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 kind of funny with uh, and you did a story on Kyle Brandt, I remember at the Athletic, but I was talking to one of my buddies like when he did that hype video um, around the Bills in kind of back to back weeks. I mean, everybody went insane here in Western New York, and one of my buddies, I would say his name, he's like, "Man, did we get in the wrong business? Should we have just gotten into hype videos instead of <laughs> storytelling and journalism?" But uh, right though, right? I mean, there 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 definitely is an appetite for that, and. I'm really banking on and, and counting on there being a niche of people out there who still want to learn something new, read, take the time. I mean, you know this, Jeff. I think we both do it. I'm guilty of it. You, you, you piss around on Twitter for, you know, an hour and then it becomes two hours. You, you know, I'd love to see that screen time of the amount of time I've kind of wasted on Twitter. And you think about it, it takes 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops to read a 5,000 word story. It's not as long as you'd think. And I think there are a lot of people out there who kind of realize that and, and still want to dig into a story. And I'm just kind of going all in on that direction. I don't think I could have really made this move, you know, even three or four years ago. It, it took definitely a good 12 years of being in the NFL world and, and building contacts and relationships and being able to kind of parachute in all over the country. That's where the Bleach Report job just helped me out more than I'll ever really know because I, I kind of am able to just go all over the place and, and have those different relationships. But um, so between that and between there being this niche, I believe of people who do want to take their brains back a little bit and, and choose to read you and what you're producing so far. So good. I, I, I do think that, you know, is that going to be the norm is the entire country wanting to, you know, sit down and read a, 6,000 word. I get the Josh Allen uh, debut story we had. It was two parts and it was about 10,000 words. I'm not sure everybody has that desire to expend energy into that, but I think there are enough people out there that still want to learn something new. What do you think they did wrong at Bleach Report? Like, why do you think it didn't work? BR Mag, because I thought BR Mag fucking kicked ass. I really did. And like, I'm not kidding. My my first story, I think for BR Mag, not joking, was 11,000 words on a former Miami football player named Will, Willie Williams. And they were like, great. And I did one on Jovan Belcher, the former chief linebacker. I think it was 10,000 words. Did they do it? Like, what do you think? Like looking back, like, did they, did they fuck this up? Was it just unsustainable? Did they just go for the sugar, the sugar being videos and blah, blah. And we could, 
I mean, there is a, it seems to be to a certain degree, the business model seems to be, well, if we can make a similar amount of money posting a video clip of a squirrel eating a dog, or we can pay Mir and Fader, Tyler Dunn, but we have to pay them a salary benefits, blah, blah, blah. We might as well just go with the squirrel eating the dog. It's cheaper. Yeah. I mean, they, they were really honest with us and just said that, you know, what, what we do, it, it didn't fit into their direction. So I, you know, I don't really have a bad word to say because that they were just kind of taking their business in a different direction um, away from words. That's not uncommon. You know, you see it kind of all over the place. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a VP for a big company. So, and I'm not making those, those kind of, you know, big wide scale just decisions, but I think it's clearly what they decided to do was just kind of move away from the storytelling. I mean, there's, I don't even know who's really left there writing anything at all. This is just what they wanted to do. And I mean, we worked with a lot of the same people, just, just awesome, awesome editors, yeah. awesome, awesome writers who pushed each other. I mean, I can't even say like the, the editor I worked with most there, Jake Leonard, just just phenomenal. I mean, he'd get me excited about the job and storytelling and all of that every day. So it is kind of sad to think back. I mean, you miss a lot of those moments and stories and conversations and and, and all of that. But uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's that uncommon. You know, I think that you, like, like we said earlier, part of you just always does kind of worry about things changing. And that's why I don't really think I'm taking a risk. You know, I. I've had people tell me like, oh my God, like what, what a plunge, you know, you're, you're betting on yourself. It's a, it doesn't feel like a risk to me because wherever I would be working for anybody, that vision could change on a dime, right? Like, you know, Jeff, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're one of, if not the best writer in the country, you've been writing these amazing books. Oh and now the guy, your website, way. Too much I'm not just, I don't, I mean it like in, it's, I don't wait. No, what I mean is why do you say I'm one of the best writers in the country? Isn't it? Right. It's obviously yeah. Best, well, obviously, you know, I, it, it, I'm come not on. sure who's listening, you know, you know, <laughs> Seth or, or Greg, they might come in and say, you know, what the hell, Tyler? I thought we were friends. So. Wait, I have a serious question. <laughs> it's funny. Um, <laughs> so you're of an interesting age. I asked you, first of all, I, I asked you how old you were before the podcast and you go uh, 32 or 33. I don't even I'm know. Like, right. Like yeah, most no people clue. know. Um, and you came along, you went to Syracuse and you were at this powerhouse journalism program at this powerhouse newspaper, the Daily Orange, which is great. And in a way, I feel like you're the last, maybe one of the last age groups to go to college with this idea of having a path similar to my idea of a path, which is I'm going to go to Syracuse. I'm going to get a job at a newspaper. Then I've got a job at a bigger newspaper. Then hopefully one day, maybe I'll work for Sports Illustrated or ESPN, the magazine and blah, blah, blah. Was there a point in your career where you really started to notice the model of this all changing? Hmm. Whew. Man, you're good at asking questions. I'm trying to think back. Yes, I would say, you know what? More than a moment, Jeff, I think it's been pretty gradual. You know, my last year at Syracuse, I can remember being in a, I think it was like a public speaking class and it wasn't even like a new house class, but we had to like present something to everybody and just work on our public speaking skills and all that. And like, I, I decided to present Twitter and it was a class of like 20 people at Syracuse. I want to say like three or four people even heard of Twitter at that point in 2009. Like nobody even knew what, what this thing was. So you're right. Like when you're charting out your plan, it was absolutely get that newspaper internship, then get a job, then try to work your way up beat to beat to beat. And yeah, hopefully work at a national publication. And I, I just remember seeing that you and 
and Mike Freeman and, and Bill Eichenberger, like that first wave of BR mag, I, I was seeing that at the Milwaukee journal Sentinel. And, you know, you're thinking that is obviously the, the goal to write national features at a national scale. I still think it is the goal. I just think like it's more of a wild West and it's, Users are in control. They can go anywhere they want to read anything, anytime. Maybe they do want that squirrel video. Maybe they do want that GIF. Maybe they just want somebody that's witty on Twitter, which I'm not very witty on Twitter. It's just like the, the, the more the user is in control, the more I think you see magazines become obsolete and newspapers become obsolete and just the traditional ways of consuming news become obsolete. And I think that's what I really did love about Substack is they were their, their thing is all about, all right, take your brain back. These people are subscribing to you. We're all still addicted to our emails. We're all still refreshing that every day. And these stories go right there. So they're, you know, take your brain back, subscribe to this person, read what they're producing, whether it's their perspective, storytelling, whatever, and you have that control. So it's like more of a niche, I feel like, than just taking over the world. So I'm hoping that that user that is in control, like that, that's what they want. That's where they can still go. But I think it was really gradual. I think it was over time that Twitter became more powerful. Instagram became more powerful. Facebook became more powerful and social media just dominates people's lives. I, it's just kind of been this slow moving freight train that just keeps going and going and going. And I'm hoping there's a little bit of a snapback effect. Um, I, I think that, Substack and those platforms like Substack are, are kind of banking on that snapback that people are, all right, wait a minute. Shit, I mean, that, that documentary on Netflix, right? The the social dilemma. It's like, wait, this is being spit at me from the left, from the right, and these ads and those ads. And it's like, I think people want to hit pause, just throw all that bullshit out of the way and read what they want to read. And yeah. are we, I, I don't know if we're seeing it yet, but I think we're seeing little, little fragments, little signs of hope that that snapback is going to happen. One thing that I will say that happened recently at our house is um, so my, my wife subscribes to the Orange County Register online and all of a sudden every Sunday, the newspaper just started showing up in our driveway. Right. I hadn't subscribed to a newspaper in years. And every now and then I'll pick the thing up. I'll be sitting on the couch. It's so freaking relaxing to just go back and just read and not be click, 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 click. Like it really is. It's almost like a mental vacation. You're like, oh, yeah. This is pretty freaking great. You know, it's you, people can't hear. It's a podcast, but I'm literally doing the motion of opening a newspaper. Like there is a joy in that. And maybe in a way that's kind of what you're doing, where it's like you can just sit back and read. You don't have to flick around to it for a million different stories. And I, I do think there is something to be said for that magic. Totally. I mean, you just put it perfect. Like, I mean, that's it, hitting pause on life in general and. I mean, there's a value to just walking outside and smelling fresh air and looking at the birds and looking at nature. It's, it's kind of like that with our lives today. Like we've got so many just social media outlets, just, I mean, people texting us all the time where we're all so busy, right? We're, we're too busy to right. make time for anything that, yeah, there is a value to just sitting down, reading something. And I don't know if they're related, but I think that there's a value in like, you know, you're a sports fan. I mean, and, and through this year of COVID, everything's been Zoom press conferences, right? I mean, every, centralized messaging, which is what teams want, is the norm because of a pandemic. I'm sure the teams aren't that upset about it, but that's just I mean, whether I'm in the NFL world. I mean, it's it's wild. It's like everybody's doing the same story. Everybody's working out the same press conference. I'm hoping there's a snapback from that. Like, wait a minute, let's 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 just do a one-on-one -on -one interview with somebody, learn something, and and tell a story that isn't 
what the team is trying to push out. Because right. um, I think that that's re- just as troubling, I think. I agree. Here it is. You find out your BR job is done. I'm sure your brain is going through the, all right, what do I do now? Do I apply here? Do I do that? Do I call him? Blah, blah, blah. How do you settle on this idea? I'm going to start my own news. Like, how did that actually enter your head? And then how do you go about doing it? So I think um, it was kind of in my head, uh, like since college and, and wanting to run my own company business, that, that entrepreneurial spirit that you referenced, it was always kind of there because of my parents. Um, they, they both ran their own businesses. Um, my, my dad uh, was a petroleum geologist, broke away, formed his own company and was able to do kind of like shallow wells here in Western New York, Northern P- PA, be a dad. I mean, never missed a game, never missed a school function, was just the best dad ever, my best friend, all of that. And so that's kind of what I grew up with, grew up in, you know, seeing him kind of take that chance and take that risk. And, you know, if this well doesn't produce, then like we don't have food on the, on the table. If it does, we do it. I, I like that about America. Like, you know, if you do well, if you build it, they'll come. If it stinks and people don't want to read it or don't want your product, whatever you're producing, then you'll fall flat on your face. And I think that's always kind of been percolating. And I never really thought how it could apply to my passion and my love for sports and sports writing. And it, it, it kind of hit me like shortly after we were let go as I'm weighing all these options out. And you know, a lot of conversations I can't necessarily say publicly with different publications and them in so many words telling me like, hey, we really like you, but we can't really hire you for this reason or that reason. And it's like, okay, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. Let's go all in. It's time to tap into that feeling that I probably have kind of had all along because of my dad and my parents and a few people reached out to me. Uh, we both work with, with David Gardner, great dude. Uh, Matt Collar at Purple Insider. He has a Substack. They they just told me about Substack. I never even heard of it. But obviously, that they um, really kind of cornered the market on, on the newsletter economy and very easy to use, very user-friendly. I, I talked to uh, Hamish McKenzie, who, who runs Substack. It's a great conversation there. One thing kind of led to another, and it just felt like, you know what? I feel confident in the way I want to cover the league with these relationships I have around the league. And I, I think that there is a, a niche, there is a lane for me to kind of find and that people might want to subscribe, might want to read. And I, I guess we've been at it two and a half, three months and didn't really have expectations, Jeff, but um, I, I couldn't be more thrilled with where we're at so far. A lot of people are like, I'm going to start this or I'm going to start that and blah, blah, blah. And here's what going like. The NFL is probably the most overcovered entity in America. There's so much NFL. Yeah. How do you find a lane that would make people say, oh, it's worth paying the seven bucks a month to hear this guy's insights as opposed to, oh, I can go get Peter King for free. I can go get whoever for free. Like, why am I going to you? I know. I wish it said somebody other than Peter King, right? Like throw out, <laughs> make up a slap, slap name or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Peter's, Peter's the King. Uh, I would say, you know, I, I do think that by and large, most, and, and I've got a lot of friends in the business. I mean, there's a lot of people who do a hell of a job on their beats around the country, local, national, all of that. But I do feel like the way football is covered and generally is kind of moving toward a, a mob kind of mentality where, all right, guys, let's all work off of Zoom. Let's all work together, kind of all write the same stories. Teams tee up a few players at on a press conference and, you know, kind of goes on our merry way. The league itself is, is huge. Like I said, got some friends at the NFL network, but let's not forget, you know, that's also the league itself producing a television network and producing messaging. You're not necessarily going to get, you know, 
a story on what happened in Green Bay from the network or from many places. And I just felt like whether it's the inner workings of a team and why things are the way they are, like that story, for example, and, you know, how did they go from where, where they were with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy to the divorce and as bad as it got, um, that kind of story. Or there's just not a lot of outlets for, for player profiles. I mean, the Athletic does a good job. They've got some good writers, but I, I, it's not like it used to be, right, with just magazines cranking out these stories regularly, newspapers cranking out these stories regularly. I feel like players do want their stories told and I had developed, you know, a trust level around the league with different guys and agencies and teams. It's kind of a combination of everything to be in a position to maybe tell that story that is kind of getting squeezed as uh, publications do kind of go other directions and move toward a social media lens more than a long form lens. I'd say about two years ago now, I had uh, Dan O'Neill from The Athletic on, and this is when The Athletic was just kind of starting up. And she was, she had been at ESPN for a long time and was a well-known writer at a not well-known entity. And she said, one of the struggles was having to explain to people what the athletic is, you know, like, Oh, I'm at this new place is the athletic is what's the athletic blah, blah. When you approach people, do you have to sort of give them the, this is what it is. This is why it's worth talking to me. A, a little bit, but I think that's where the timing was right. It hasn't access. Hasn't really been a problem. And I know I could just say that, you know, just say, but I, I really mean it. Like, I think, that I think that agencies, players, and some teams, you know, some are better than others. They just kind of know this is the way it is in 2021. Now. Like it's just, you know, there, there's a lot of independent publications, I guess, to answer your last question too, I think that's maybe a, a, a that is a value that I can bring is that, that independent kind of perspective where, you know, I don't have to worry about the ramifications of, a beat per se, or a corporate overlord, you know, directing a story or an advertiser directing a story. It's like completely just me and my own brain and, and trying to create something new in a different story that folks hopefully can't get anywhere else. Um, but I, it hasn't really been an issue. There, there's definitely times where, you know, uh, a player or an agent might be like, all right, well, where's this story going to go and how many people are going to see it? And I've got the numbers and I can tell them and the numbers are good. And I, I think that they, they, there hasn't really been any issues. And I, I've, I've just been able to kind of lean into the relationships that I had from, from Milwaukee to Buffalo to BR. I mean, for example, this week I did like a more of a column, a longish column on Allen Robinson. Obviously he's maybe the best free agent on the market. I had known him from stories I've done at BR we've kept in touch. And it was like, he just dropped everything and we talked for, you know, an hour and a half about his contract situation and he's pissed off. Like he doesn't want to get tagged. If he gets tagged, there's going to be problems and he's going to probably ask for a trade. And he was really candid about it. So I don't think it really mattered where I was, who I'm working for. Like he was willing to talk and he knew the message would get out with the way people consume information today. All right. So you just posted this five hours ago. It's called the truth on Allen Robinson. And he wrote, this makes absolutely zero sense. Allen Robinson should have been handed a blank check long ago. Anybody who has watched a millisecond of the Chicago Bears offense the last three seasons can draw one indisputable conclusion. It's Allen Robinson and everybody else. The veteran wide receiver has been the one source of hope for an offense taking a nosedive back into purgatory. Wherever you look, the employment of just about everyone else at Hallis Hall seems precarious. The general manager, the head coach, all of the draft mistakes. But the one constant, the one sure thing, A-Rob making the best of a wretched situation. So... Do you think in a way, like I remember when I was at Sports Illustrated 
and you would show up somewhere and it mattered that you were at Sports Illustrated. Like you would, if you, if I went to do the Dodgers, it didn't matter that it was me. Like my name meant nothing. It was just, I fit the suit. I was Sports Illustrated. If you went, you get a lot of time with these guys. It feels like the, that day is over. Like it actually, and to your benefit, it feels like Alan Robinson is basically like, oh, someone wants to hear me talk. I have something to say. I want to get this out there. The guy's been writing about the NFL. That's good enough for me. Or am I, am I misreading what it is these days? I think that there's some of that still. I think that, you know, there's, you know, some legacy institutions that it, it still matters, um, you know, to be on a cover for, to have that interview with. And, and definitely there are, there, you know, there's some public relations uh, departments with teams that, you know, they're going to pu- push some interviews towards certain directions because of that. But no, I totally agree with you. I, I think that it, more so than now than ever, it's, it's about relationships more than, you know, sources, conversations more than interviews and guys just, they're going to talk to who they want to talk to, whether it's, you know, on the record for background, you know, like, you know, a lot of stories, you're, you're building that trust up for, for something that's going to be anonymous. And I I just think that they don't really, it it doesn't really matter necessarily where you are. And obviously I'm kind of biased in saying that because I'm an independent newsletter. I, I, but I really think that's the case. And it's just like, okay, do I want to talk to this guy or not? Do I trust this guy or not? Right. And they're going to base that off of past interactions, past relationships. And it's just going to go from there. I mean, let's, let's face it, Jeff, these guys can, they can say whatever they want on their own channels anytime they want. I mean, whether it's the Players Tribune or their own social networks, it's, it's just, but I, I think with Alan Robinson, you know, if we're using that as an example, he, I think he kind of knew like, um, you know, he had read the stories that did on him in the past and, and when, as I'm talking to him and then as I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what, this is probably more of a column because I just think this is this is nuts, the position he's in. So I wrote it as opinion, you know, rooted in reporting. And I think I want to mix it up like that. It's going to be a kind of a combination, but I'm just kind of rambling here. But I think you're right. I think it is more so about just who, who what individual person am I talking to more so than where is this going to go? So you charge it's 70, uh, 70 bucks annually or seven a month. Do you have a business model in your head? How many subscribers I need to make this viable? And where are you subscription wise? Oh, I know it's one of those things. I'm not not necessarily sure I want to like put it out there because I'm hoping it will be way way higher than uh, than when folks are listening to it. But um, I'll say like it's where Substack's a little different. So there's almost kind of like two lists, right? There's you know your free email list, so people can sign up and get the free stories and. They also can subscribe seven a month, 70 a year. And I'm having kind of deals all the time, you know, 25% off for a Super Bowl week or, you know, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have a relaunch with draft coverage. And, you know, we're going to hopefully have some apparel and, and do some different things down those lines. But their, their big thing is to try to get people in the door with some free content. So, I mean, I've got a lot of free content, too to get people to read, to get people in, they sign up to that free email list. And then from there, you hope to funnel in and turn, convert those on the free email list into subscribers. Now is that 10%, 15%, 20%? I think it varies for everybody. Uh, but I think you have to kind of then offer something a little different. That's maybe community-based analysis-based opinion-based make, makes them feel like a part of the community there. Um, we do like Zoom happy hours every Friday where, you know, subscribers get a link. We hop on Zoom. We throw back some beers. I've had special guests on, you know, Doug Whaley was the GM of the Bills. I had John Kirby on. He was Tom Brady's high school teammate. He had all kinds of crazy stories from Sarah High School. 
Um, tomorrow, uh, Alan Robinson's going to pop on and talk to some fans. So that's just for the subscribers. So they're kind of a part of it. And I, I, I definitely have a goal. Like, I think, you know, I think anybody doing this by themselves, if they can hit a thousand subscribers paid, mm-hmm. like you're in business, you're cooking, you know, it, it, it's tougher to probably get to that number than people think. But um, I'm definitely on track and confident that it's going to work. It kind of ebbs and flows. Like you never really know when that spike's going to happen. I mean, I've done stories that, you know, they might get 20, 30,000 views. They don't necessarily drive subscriptions or some stories might not get a lot of views, but they do drive subscriptions. Um, Such an inexact science that I think everybody in this world is trying to figure out. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my son Emmett. And because of COVID, I teamed up with 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise, to create a homeschooling syllabus for high school freshmen. I hate it here, Dad. Call me instructor. I hate it here, instructor. Quiet. First period. History. The Michigan Panthers beat the Philadelphia Stars in the first USFL championship game, 24-22. Math. In 1983, Craig James of the Washington Federals carried 202 times for 823 yards. That's 4.1 yards per carry. Science. When the Houston Gamblers' offensive linemen injected unknown substances into their bodies, it was 10% horse blood, 70% rodent urine, and 20% growth hormone from a dead grandmother. Marketing. My favorite subject. Go to 503-sports.com to buy the best throwback sports merchandise on the planet. Jerseys, caps, t-shirts, all finely made. Spanish. Estas muerto para mi. Is that a compliment? Yes, instructor. I always say the, my, the least favorite part for me of writing books, you know, you have to be a pimp and you have to be a whore and you have to be, a, <laughs> and you're constantly yeah. selling, you're constantly trying to, and um, it's not, you get more comfortable as you do it, but it's not a comfort. Is it, is it weird to be in a position at all? Like Bleacher Report, you were thinking zero about sales. You just write the damn story. Yeah. Is it weird to be in a position where you actually have to be your own pimp? Totally. It's, it's the weirdest part of the job to me, Jeff. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm, didn't take a you know marketing class. This is a whole new world. I'm I'm trying to read as much as I can about you know the successful Substacks and how they got to that point and how they marketed and you you really do. I mean, because if you don't, then you're screwed, right? If you just think you're going to put up a story, I, I I do believe if you do good shit, people will find it and people will support it. Yeah. That's got to be the foundation for everything. Because if you're gonna you know you can't just sell a pile of shit to people and you know tell them to pay for it. So <laughs> I definitely believe the work will sell itself in the long haul. And I'm really banking on that, but yeah, you, you, you better be firing out like specials and deals. And, you know, there's a brewery in town that I love. I mean, I just love their beer. They kind of teamed up with our podcast and every once in a while I'll, I'll text the guy, Hey, you know, can we send out some free beer for folks? And it's from me and are right, they're cool with it. So you do got to kind of do those things and you do got to like share your stuff and get it out there or else you're going to be left behind. So to answer your question, it, it is kind of weird because, you know, you'd rather just kind of be in the background and let other people do the selling for you. But I, I think we're all figuring this out as we go and, and you better do it. What do you think about this idea? I was thinking for my next book of doing a, a Jeff Perlman naked calendar and I send it out to people. I get one who buys a book. It's a Jeff Perlman naked calendar. <sighs> you know, I'm, I don't think I'd purchase that, but you know, I, you know, there, there could be, could be some folks out there. You never know. Right. <laughs> We are uh, a couple of weeks removed from a really sad story. Former Charger Buccaneer wide receiver named Vincent Jackson found dead in a hotel room. Uh, looks like he suffered from CTE and alcoholism 
I was mesmerized by a sort of video that Ryan Leaf, the former Charger quarterback, put out just devastated and saying about how the NFL has really turned a blind eye to all these players and their sufferings after they're done. You're not the first football writer I've asked about this, but is it hard to cover a sport that leaves its participants so battered? Do you ever have this like, what am I doing here? I I, I do here and there because, I mean – I'm with a lot of other people celebrating the violence and the brutality of, of the game. I, my problem with the league is it's like, just, just own it. Like, let's not pretend it's safe. Let's not tell people and moms of America, like, Oh my God, this game is safe. Sign your kid up. Look at these numbers. Concussions are down. Like it's all a lie. Like just, just own what you are. I mean, if guys got to sign a waiver, so be it. But like, I, that's what I don't like. It just seems disingenuous to me to, you know, spit out all these heads up football programs because we kind of know why they're doing it. Right. They want to convince moms to sign their kids up to play, just own the violence, own what you are. And I, I know I'd sleep better at night if they did too. So that's what, I, that's the way I try to cover the league is kind of through that um, idea. Now to answer your question, like I, I think that we have a duty, right. To, to cover it for what it is. And I was just talking to a former player and um, we'll have a big story. Hopefully next month at some point when I get out to see him that, that he just talked to Vincent Jackson last month uh, he couldn't tell anything was wrong, but he was, he was really shook up by it. He was a teammate of his um, and it, it hit him hard. This player has gone through his own trials and tribulations and suicide attempts and all kinds. And it's like, we've stayed in touch for about a, got, got over a year now, just, just talking. And it, it hits you, Jeff. I mean, it really does hit you. Like, is it worth it? Like, is it for these, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, this game, it's such a small fraction of these guys' lives. I mean, they they'll retire you know, in their twenties or thirties, and I mean, we're in our twenties or thirties. Like, you you have your whole life to live, and they're dealing with shit every day because of this game. And the league is not doing nearly enough to help these guys financially, but beyond financially, mental health wise, it, it it does make it tough to kind of, you know, justify our existence covering it. But I think if you cover that aspect of it. Um, that you can sleep at night a little better because I think this stuff needs, these stories do need to be told and exposed and explained and the league needs to do something. It's interesting. I feel like one thing that goes unexplored too much is, uh, all right, so here's Vincent Jackson. He's 38 and it's like, the story is, oh, CTE and alcoholism. And I just think the one thing that's always gets me, like Vincent Jackson was a star. Vincent Jackson was a three-time pro bowler. He was the number one wide receiver in the NFL. He played for a long time. He was a great, great player. And as soon as you retire, you're kind of a nobody. Like nobody recognizes you. Your name is Vincent Jackson. You're one of 8 million Vincent Jacksons. You're not going to get an endorsement deal. You're not going to get, your face has been literally covered throughout your career by a helmet. At least when you play baseball or, or certainly the NBA, your fame carries a little while and can get you a couple of endorsements or a partial share in a bar or a car dealership. Like once you're done, Vincent Jackson immediately becomes guy on the street, Vincent Jackson. It's jarring. I think that that's what they struggle with the most. It's identity and it's purpose. And it's, you know, I, I, I was in this locker room with a group of guys. I mean, I, I hate drawing um like war analogies because nothing compares to war, but that, that's what a lot of players say. I mean, it's, I think it was maybe Darren Woodson or Dante Whitner. We kind of talked about this in, in Q and A's at my site recently. And like Darren Woodson said, like, look, you're, you're around these guys day in and day out. It's a, it's a brotherhood. It's a camaraderie that you can't even explain. It's your identity as a human being to just strip all of that and get spit out into society. Forget like your, 
knees aching and your brain having God knows how much CTE and, and all the physical ramifications, like that mental aspect of it doesn't get talked enough about. And like, you are a part of something. It's who you are. You've got 70, 80,000 people cheering you on. You're on top of the world and you just completely lose all that. And what now? I, I think football more than any other sport that that's what stings guys too. It, it's there's something like about, being on a field and look, if you screw up your job as a, Chris Borland told me this once a, a story of BR, he's like, if I screw up my job, the guy next to me is going to get his head ripped off. You know what I mean? Like there's a, that accountability and responsibility. This leads to so much brotherhood that I don't think other sports have to that level. So when you, you lose all that, I, I don't know if guys really know how to, how to live with themselves in a lot of cases. One thing that's also interesting that I feel like I've never read about they don't keep in touch once they're done. That's really fascinating. Like, I'll be like, oh, when I'm working on a book and I'm researching, so who do you talk to? Eh. Once a year, I see so-and-so at a golf outing. Like they, it's a weird how it's a brotherhood. And when it's over, these guys just kind of scatter. It's weird. And it's not a shared experience in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, except when they see each other once a year at some event. It's very weird. Part of it too is like we see the the former players on TV and, you know, that are broadcasters or on NFL Network, or maybe they're, GMs of teams. And it's like, that's such a sliver of oh, yeah. the retire. You know, there's so many of these people that are just back in their hometowns broke, maybe their heads in a place it shouldn't be. They've lost this purpose. And like so many of those guys out there that we don't talk n- nearly enough about. I think that the perception is that maybe a lot of guys are doing just fine. Cause Hey, we see, you know, Kurt Warner, and Michael Irvin breaking down the game on TV when it is much, are- much more likely that the starting right guard for the 1998 New York Jets is loading stuff at Costco than he is in a booth, like much more likely times a thousand. And you know, what's also true, Jeff is like, I think football, I don't think it's at boxing yet, but most of the workforce for this league, I mean, these guys are coming from like brutal upbringings and childhoods and, you know, single parent homes and, you know, pension pennies. I mean, Kevin Byer talking about ripping the twigs off the tree just to heat their house. I mean, you know, I've written a lot of these stories and then at some point you realize like, this is the norm. This isn't the exception. So they get to the NFL and they've got relatives and friends all asking them for money all the time, pulling at them in a million different directions. Like, I can't mentally how you kind of like deal with that, you know, and then, you know, you're helping all that. You're, you're that one beacon of hope for so many people back in your hometown. And then you're, when you're, when you're done with the game, you're kind of sent back there. I, yeah. I think mental health wise, there's, 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 there's some kind of element there that we don't get, we don't talk enough about either. You're like, there's a scene in a, the second Superman movie when he gives up his powers and someone beats him up in a diner and you're basically that guy. You had this cape, you had these powers, and now you're sitting in a diner getting your ass kicked. Perfect analogy. Yeah. Let me ask you a final question that I'm required to ask everyone on this uh, podcast. What is the biggest dick experience you've had in your uh, in your sports writing career? It was, I mean, it's, I'll say like it was, it was kind of a public experience and it wasn't even really face to face, but I'd say it was pretty interesting. You know, after I wrote that Packers story at Bleacher Report, I think it was what, three days later, Aaron Rodgers goes on the radio show with his former co-host. I mean, it, it was expected, you know, I, I expected this to happen, but it is, it is something to kind of hear his interpretation of the events. And uh, 
you know, I think his words were a writer trying to advance his career or something like that. So that, that was a that was an experience. That was a fun few days. Was it embarrassing? Not at all. Not at all. Embarrassing. I mean, I think uh, there was somebody in the front office in Green Bay who basically predicted that. And he's like, all right, you're going to write this story. And Aaron is unbelievably sensitive. And it's, it's remarkable that somebody who's this good at football, this good at a skill, gives a shit what anybody writes about him. But he will. Because that's part of what makes him great, but that's, you know, because, you know, you know, they, they draft his replacement and he's an MVP. I think, you know, look at Philadelphia, Carson Wentz didn't exactly react to the Jalen Hurts selection the same way. So that getting ticked off and pissed off and that chip on the shoulder, but it's then you're going to, you know, you're going to see him go on a radio show, you know, meticulously breaking down what he deems to be smears and you know, calling his number one receiver, number one tight end, quote unquote, irrelevant. I don't know how many quarterbacks are, are doing that. But uh, so it, it was expected. It was just, you know, it was weird, Jeff. It was just to kind of like be in that national spotlight. And um, I, my, I just chose to not even say a word. Honestly, I just shut off my Twitter. I just hung out with my family. Um, I remember my brother came over and we watched a national championship game with my wife. We never daughter yet, but uh, played with the dog. And it's just like, you know out of sight, out of mind, who gives a shit, stand by the story, don't regret one word, and life goes on. I just want to say, back in, uh, I just thought of this, because you said, back in 2016, when I had a, a Favre biography come out, Donald Driver was pissed at something I wrote, and he uh, he tweeted something, this guy, Jeff Perlman, quoted me, blah, 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 and it was a lie, cursing, I don't curse. So, um, I remember I that. a call from a former Packer, a prominent former Packer, and he goes to me, fuck Donald Driver. He's totally full of shit. I heard that guy curse all the time. It was like the greatest little moment of my journalism career, having another player call and say, fuck that guy. That was the best. So if I, I don't, I've never, I haven't said this to anybody either, Jeff, but down those lines. So after that story, you know, and the, you know, obviously a lot of the, uh, because there are, I mean, a lot of teammates and former players, they basically will become surrogates for a team. It's a lot like politics, right? Like they're, they, you know, it behooves them to support the quarterback, return to Lambeau Field as a conquering hero. Like, I mean, the fact, I mean, Greg Jennings is one of the best receivers in team history and fans hate him just because he has an opinion on something, which is kind of remarkable. But anyways, like, so uh, a lot of players came to the defense of, of the quarterback and the coach and, but same kind of deal. I got a lot of phone calls from other players and they had even more stories to share and more experiences to share. And we're like, you know, I, I can't necessarily put this out there because I don't want to you know, be public enemy number one. But here's something else that kind of happened to my time in Green Bay. I just want to say also, like um, Aaron Rodgers got pissed at me for the Favre book and ripped me. And I didn't really say it at the time, like I literally approached that guy at a golf tournament he was appearing at, told him I'm working on this book. He said, yeah, I'll talk to you. Set hook, uh, set it up with blank person. I called blank person. Got blown off repeatedly. So it's like, listen, buddy, I gave you every opportunity, and you chose not. Like, yeah, not. I have no beef with Aaron Rodgers, but like, come on. Yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me. I guess. Well, Tyler, I appreciate you doing this. I wish you great luck. I will say, I, sh I think it's important for viewers to know that you were wearing a go long sweatshirt. <laughs> Did you do this? Very nice. It's like a. Uh, I saw Hall and Oates once in concert and Daryl Hall was wearing a Daryl Hall shirt. And I think like, that's the way to go. I was like, that's the way to go. I like gotta, gotta try to spread the word, man. Right. Well, we'll have them out for the readers and subscribers in a couple of weeks, I think. So awesome. I wish you great luck and great success. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Oh my God. It was a pleasure. 
I want to thank today's guest, Tyler Dunn, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Ty Dunn and subscribe to Go Long at golongtd.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please consider going to the vehicle of your choice and giving the show a nice review. I make zero dollars and zero cents for doing this. It's all about word of mouth. Music is by the fantastic MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing. <laughs>